so happy to bring this interview to all of you in our audience. A lot of people throw around the term renaissance person to describe people they know. But our guest this week, Jenna Stone, she's the closest I've ever known to truly being a renaissance person. Now, I'll be honest, the reason I know Jenna today is because she has one of the most amazing voices I've ever heard. I heard her on an interview show, and then I checked out her show. She's the co-creator of the Science and Supernatural podcast with Xander and Stone, and I quickly became a super fan. Now, once I got to know Jenna better, I discovered how prolific and talented she really is. The best part of it all, she is also a deep and caring human being. So I'll step aside and let you discover the rest as you listen to Jenna tell her story in her voice, of course. And <laughs> my dad made sure that we had a home in the middle of nowhere with no neighbors, 24 acres of nothing, lots of trees, lots of lots of all of that. And uh, because I grew up in a very religious household, um, we were very super restricted on any sort of TV that we could watch. Plus, where I lived, we could only get a channel and a half. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> PBS came in really clearly. <laughs> um, ABC had that like good little fuzz going. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but you could see through it, you know, but, uh, but because of that, we spent a little, because we, we, you know, weren't sitting in front of a TV all day. We spent a lot of time outdoors and a lot of time writing. And, and I think that's, that's where it started. We had to be creative because there wasn't anything feeding us in front of us to make us mind numb. So do you want more? <laughs> yeah. You had a lot of freedom, right? You, you, um, I think you had to create your own, own fun. I think you told me, right? But yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I mean hours and hours, and we lived uh, where uh, you could you could dig up. We we always had several gardens, and so there were arrowheads we'd find on our property in Flint, and then there was an Indian burial ground that we would go over to. And uh, I, I, again, not scary. I'm not sure why it wasn't, but <laughs> with <laughs> we'd find little mounds, and and we had an a, a neighbor, I guess if you could call it that, far far away that raised peacocks and things like that. And sometimes he would walk with us and tell us like, well, when you see these mounds. So we learned a lot about that. And then um, for one year, I got taught at home um, when I was in seventh grade. My parents were worried about me going to middle school. And uh, my dad would take me out and teach me all the different trees. This is a birch. This is how you know it's a birch. And so that was nice. I mean, I I learned a lot about the land and, and, uh, and, and what to look for and how to know if some things, you know, fire rock or flint or an arrowhead or those kind of things and and uh and the writing part i think i i told stories because that you know it was it was probably boredom it was forced uh, creativity through boredom but um and and our family was very musically inclined uh when i was growing up 
And so we used to joke that we were like the darlings from the Andy Griffith show, <laughs> that, <laughs> that our parents would our parents would sing with us all the time. So everywhere we went, they would you know ask us all to sing for them. We'd go to a picnic and we'd know we were in perform mode every single time. And we'd have these huge picnics and people would come and we would... Uh, we would we would perform the Von Trapps. We would perform for them. <laughs> now that I was allowed to watch Sound of Music, that was on the list. <laughs> Things I could see, Labyrinth, Never Ending Story. Pretty much if it had music in it and you know not curse words, I was good to go. <laughs> so Jenna, so, how, how long yeah. did you? St- I, I've been to that part of West Virginia. I didn't grow up very far from there. It is beautiful, but it is you know kind of isolated. So h- how long? I mean, you know, the, it, it's rural. You know. <laughs> It's very, it is very isolated. True. Were you there through your high school years? I was there through my high school years. I was in the southern part of West Virginia. My dad was, uh, of course, I I grew up right outside of Coal City. So when people ask me if I'm a coal miner's daughter and they think they're being funny, and I always say, yeah, (laughs) because my dad, (laughs) yep, everybody I knew was coal miners, but um, my dad was a mine inspector. And so we got moved to the northern part of the state, um, so closer to Pennsylvania area. And um, and then. I finished college right outside of Pittsburgh, well, like Fairmont, so right outside of Pennsylvania. And then I taught for a couple of years there. And uh, at some point, I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and so I put my finger on a map and it landed in Arizona. And so I, I came out here. I did uh, Phoenix for half a week, t- Tucson for half a week, decided on Tucson and moved to Tucson with a suitcase and a half on an Amtrak. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, and then now I'm in Phoenix, but but yeah, that was the it was a finger on the map strategy to leave West Virginia. Cool. So <laughs> I'm curious, you know, what part of this podcast is we want to hear about, you know, what influenced artists in their formative years. You know, I think that's a really underrated and interesting part of a person's life. You know, when they start to form the seeds of those like adult opinions and and interests that they'll have. And so, growing up in a rural community with a religious family. You know, what were some of your maybe at the time illicit influences, things that, you know, you weren't sure you could share with your family and, 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 you know, whether it's uh, artistically or intellectually, spiritually, you know, what were some of the things that, um, you know, started to define who you were as a young woman growing up in that environment? So spiritually, I remember being, well, (laughs) the... (laughs) I, I don't know which one came first. I do remember laying on the grass and thinking about like dying at the end of this and then living forever in heaven and, and having that moment of like, that can't be it. Like it, did, it didn't actually click with me even at five years old, like it didn't click with me. And, um, and then at, we had a half day at kindergarten and again, lived in the middle of nowhere and I get dropped off. My mom's not there. I call my grandpa who's always home, wasn't there. And I go outside and I remember looking up at the sky thinking the rapture happened and God didn't take me. I was so devastated that, that I had been left behind. Like it was a very traumatic event for me. And my mom, and I don't know what time lapse it was. I mean, it, I mean, it was likely only 10 or 15 minutes. It felt like hours. My mom came racing home. She'd forgot it was half a day, those kind of things. But, but, but those little, those little moments that happened throughout, I think, um, where you were, you were taught to, just um take it all in and and not question it and um i i always sort of resisted that and i know when i got older in high school uh we had i go to sunday school class and i had i was the one you know raising my hand i have a question i have a question and and a lot of times they would say to me 
that's a good question. We'll get back to you. But then I noticed no one ever got back to me <laughs> on the answers for those things. So I think as far as the the spiritual part, that was um, that. And, and I think that most people, most people, if if you're open to growing as a person, there's so much unlearning that you have to do. You spend your whole life learning and then you have to take the next 15 years and unlearn. And then and I remember being um, in college and I was still, you know, super religious. And uh, one of my professors said, do you believe what you believe because you believe it or because your parents believe it? And that's all he said. But that one little thing, it just needled at me because I thought, is, is this what I believe? And so I think that started the unlearning process for me because I am still very spiritual, but, as, but, a lot of, but I, I would disagree with a lot of, um, I, I think, the dogma of the way I was raised. So I'm an escaped Catholic myself, and I'll, I'll give some kudos <laughs> to your Sunday school teacher. You know, the, the nuns and priests where I went to catechism, when I would ask a difficult question, they'd be like, you know what, Greg? The Lord works in mysterious ways, so I, I, I can't tell right. you. I can't tell you why it makes sense and it's correct, but just trust me, it is because it's in the book. And I was like, okay, it's faith. It's faith. It's all faith. Everything. The answer is faith. But uh, but yeah, that's a, that's it as far as spiritually, as far as uh, creative, creatively. My dad is a uh, plays the guitar like no one's business. Like he's an amazing guitarist, and uh, so is my sister and my mom. Um, my mom is a teacher or was a teacher in English and she's a writer. My sister's written books, I've written books. So we we grew up just sort of um doing those things like creating. We were the whole family creating. So it might be a good time to say that you you are a writer, you're an actor, right? You're a musician. <laughs> well, no, no longer a musician. After I moved to Arizona, my uh my vocal cords within a week, nobody could recognize my voice because my voice got deeper. Apparently, they if some people are susceptible to it, and it's uh, I, I I don't know the science behind it, but something happens to your vocal cords, and so now I can't I can't sing like I used to. But that's unfortunate. Yeah, my voice within a week, I called my dad. My dad's like, "Who is this?" And I was like, "Wow, he's already yeah. forgotten me." <laughs> but, but yeah, the voice just yeah, my voice stuck a little deeper once I got here. So well, I don't think that's a negative. Um, obviously. <laughs> well, thank you. you. You have all these, you're a digital artist as well. I mean, you have all of these um, creative pursuits along with being obviously a podcast star and teaching. When you wake up in the morning, do you say, okay, today's my day, I'm going to sit down and write? Or or is it more of a flow where it just, where the muse takes you is what happens? It, uh, it is probably a combination. I usually set up my week with some goals. Like this morning, I was doing goal setting before um, before I got on on the show today, and uh, I was my my goal for the next six weeks is I'm going to revamp every week one of my screenplays. But whether that happens on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, I don't know. But by the end of the week, I want to make sure it happens. So, so that's the part where the muse is like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling it today. So today I'll do it. Today I'll squeeze it in. So. I, and and I think I, I used to be more regimented. Like every day, I'll write one hour, but but that didn't work for me because there are some days where you you just don't have it, and you know that you don't have it, and you're really just wasting your time. And so I, I when that fire hits, I mean, there are times. At one point, one of the screenplays I wrote, I had this idea while I was driving, and I thought I'm I'm big on when you think it ink it, you know, because if you don't, it's gone. The moment's gone. So I pulled over at a park and sat there for three and a half hours in my car. And I had a little tiny mini notepad and I was writing every single thing that came through. So sometimes it just strikes you and <laughs> you're sitting in a parking lot just 
getting as much out as you can. It's it's fascinating. You know, you, you're, I mean, as Tim mentioned, you're truly a Renaissance woman, right? You have all these different mm-hmm. interests, but um, I see some, you know, there's some interesting dichotomies there because, you know, we found you and fell in love with you on your science and supernatural podcast, and you're taking generally the scientific point of view, you know, but we're also learning that you grew up in a religious family who was also very creative. So they had a lot of diverse interests as well, you know, and you're an actor, but you're a teacher and you're into science and writing too. So it's like, (laughs) you know, it's not easy to determine like what was some, what was the thing that, uh, or, or what is kind of the thing that defines you because as an actor, you know, is that escapism? Is it, you know, wanting to indulge in something that is beyond our rigid kind of typical life. And as a podcaster though, you're, you're, you're trying to get Xander back within the boundaries of of the explainable. (laughs) Yeah. It just, it's just, you, you have such eclectic, um, you know, interests and, not easily kind of like pointed to and said, oh, well, it's obvious why Jenna's an actress because she grew up in a rigid, you know, a Christian environment and she wanted to explore uh, new personas. But, you know, but then you also have a, an interest in science and, and you're a writer and, and a musician and podcaster. So there's a lot of different things that if on paper people might look at as contradictions, but somehow they, you know, they blend all into you know, what makes you, you. Right. Um, actually, I, even when I look at it on paper, it is, it is a bunch of contradictions, but, um, uh, I, I was, I think, I think that part of the reason I wanted to get into acting the moment that I left home and was able to watch any sort of TV or film. And, and I think like when I was 17 or 18, I had a, a cousin who started, I, I remember watching, uh, I felt so guilty about it though, but I watched Dirty Dancing. And I was so enamored. I was like, oh, you know, the like it was, it was something, right? <laughs> it was something I, I had so much guilt. I mean, for years I had guilt about that. Um, but I ended up my first year of college, I had a theater scholarship. And so it was a full ride for theater. And then a year, so I took all these theater classes, was completely into it. And then, uh, and the one thing he said to us, which was really disheartening when you're going to be an actress, he said, uh, actors are a dime a dozen. He said, you need to learn the other skills. So we had to learn lights. We had to learn sound. And it was, it was a really good thing for us because you learned all the different pieces of it instead of just the acting part. But after a year, they canceled my program. And the one thing my dad wanted all of his daughters to be, if we were going to insist on going to college, is to be teachers. So I was very resistant to that. Um, but my the credits that I already had, that was the one thing. I went into journalism. I went into journalism for one semester, but we had to watch the news every week and we had to take tests on it. And I was so depressed by the end of that semester, <laughs> just getting inundated right. <laughs> with all the dark stories that I thought, yeah, I can't do this. So I ended up switching into teaching. So the acting bug, I think, probably did have a lot to do with the restriction because then I couldn't get enough of TV and film. I mean, I reference it a little too often on our podcast um, because I just... It, it, I, I love that art form and I love that type of storytelling and, and all of it, whether you're writing or doing a podcast or, or doing film, it's all storytelling, right? So it's just a different, it's just doing it, doing it with a different paintbrush, I guess. So um, as far as the bi- podcast goes, I did, um, I've done several 
several commercials, things like that with voice acting. And I love voice acting because they put you in the little booth and you're all by yourself. And it's, <laughs> you know, you don't have to worry about the video or the photography or did I, did I not sleep enough last night? So <laughs> look how haggardly I look. I really appreciate, I appreciate that part of it. But um, as far as our podcast goes, while I am interested in science, I, it's not my background. Xander, uh, Xander came up with the concept of the show. He originally, it was going to be the Xander Zone. And uh, he did a couple episodes, was not crazy about it. And he called and asked me if I'd be willing to be on the show. And we, we just, I just ran across uh, notes from a year ago. We didn't even remember that originally we had said, I said, yeah, it could be the Xander Zone with Jenna Stone because, you know, it rhymes. Um, <laughs> but then somehow it transitioned into this, what if I do the supernatural and you do the science? And so that's how the format came up. So I, I do have to do a lot of research and because it's not my field at all. But um but prior to that, I had binged a lot of ASAP science videos because I do think science is very interesting, but it's definitely not my field. So it was more of an assignment than like, oh, I hope I get to do science on a podcast. So Very cool. Hey, Jenna, can I ask you about, so uh, I'm very interested in you talking about Xander and, and, and working with Xander and how your of podcast course you are, has Jen. evolved. Yeah. <laughs> Here we um, go, Greg. He, boy, he, he, sh- he showed such great restraint. You know, we've been talking for almost forty minutes, and this is the first. Give me some inside scoop on Xander question from Tim. It's actually not that. It's it's more. Um, although I get where you guys are coming from, but it's more like the evolution of that uh, artifact of the of the podcast, right? That outcome, and I know that our podcast today the most popular podcast, Bad Counsel, is the result of another podcast that, it, so it kind of grew and there was an evolution and we talk a lot about where we want to take it. So what is that like working with someone else? Because um, from an, from a writing perspective, it's a very solitary art form, right? And then mm-hmm. in this case, it's it's a very strong partnership, it sounds like. So what have you learned or discovered in terms of working with Xander about your own creativity and then working with somebody else and how that vision comes together and produces what we think is just a great podcast. And thank you for that, by the way. But I, I think the, the biggest lesson that I've had this year is letting go of, of control as much as I, you know, you were saying about reining him in. That's, that's just part of our bit. And I, the first episode we'd said, we won't mention politics. We won't mention religion. Okay. I said that we won't mention politics. <laughs> right. We won't mention religion. Well, that sounds familiar, Greg, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I had, I had, so, I had some good structure going. He's like, absolutely, absolutely. And if you listen to our first episode, I mean, I was I was dying. I was like, oh my God, there's nothing. I mean, he there's no one he didn't offend. There's nothing he didn't touch. And I was I was I was stressing. And so um my one of my friends who knows me, who by the way, Greg says I'm the funniest person he knows, female. Um, he, he called me. Hmm. He also grew up in rural West Virginia yeah. and never left. Yeah, yeah, they, no, that's not true. But um, he, he he called me. He said, "I can't." Uh, he said, "I'm just so surprised to hear you playing the straight man on the podcast." But you know that I was more the Billy Crystal than the Robin Williams. But I think that's part of it is that you you're learning that dance that you have to do with the other partner. Like you 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 figure out your roles pretty quickly as far as who's going to be more of the parent, like Tim is on his podcast, and mm-hmm. and who's going to be more the adolescent, like Greg is on his podcast. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and so you you start you start define, and we're all actors, right? So you start defining wh- who your character is from that. And I think letting go of some of my control issues. I mean. When I first started, I had no idea we were going to have an explicit podcast until 
episode one. And I was like, okay, now we're explicit. There's no way around this one. And so, and so let it, letting go and, and, uh, and I think having that give and take, like we have a really good partnership in that. Like right now I'm doing the Instagram. And before that I was so slammed with work that he was doing the Instagram. And I think that we recognize when one of us is burning out. And so we're able to pick up the, pick up the pace for the other person and store and, and do that back and forth because I, it's exhausting. I mean, I know you know that. Like, it's just the editing and the social media, and it's all a big time suck. So you have to figure out how all of the pressure and work doesn't just fall on one person. It's interesting. You raised a couple of things that I, I could probably speak for Tim and say uh, were issues for us as we've traversed this journey of podcasting together. But I don't know that I've ever really thought about them in terms of letting go of control. You know. Like candidly, Tim and I and Jack and another friend had our first podcast for three years. And, uh, you know, I, and I think it, uh, I'm not speaking for Tim, but I think it was kind of all of our collective inability to relinquish control about what direction we thought we should go. Um, that, you know, we had a fairly ugly breakup, you know, from our first podcast. And we all just needed not a lot of time, but some time to kind of gain that space. And, but we still wrestle with those things. You know, you, you talked about Xander getting explicit on the first podcast. Uh, you know, Tim and I and Jack and, and Tim and I, we talk about, did we go too far <laughs> with some of our comedic content? Right. And, and, I, and, and it's funny, we're, as we're recording, I can see Tim as I see him now. And there are many painful uh, facial expressions that come across Tim's face when Jack and I are getting into certain topics that we'll leave for that. I, I can see it even when I'm listening to it, actually. I can see his, because I make the same face, so I know it. I'm like, oh my God, there goes Ireland. Ireland's not listening to us anymore. <laughs> but um, but we found a way to balance it. Sounds like you and Xander have too, and the results are you know obviously fantastic for you guys i think i think in the past i've had some creative partnerships that absolutely i had a radio show called moxie and that partnership definitely blew up and i think if you have two people that are unwilling to relinquish control that's what happens i mean you you have to either take turns or you have to just step back and say okay like i see who's leading the show and and move on from that otherwise it just it implodes and and I mean, it, teach, it teaches you so much when you, when you have the partnerships. I mean, I've said, I've said so many times, I'll never have another partner. I'll never have a partner again. You know, <laughs> it's just so frustrating. And you're like, I'll just do it on my own. But there are some really beautiful things that are born from the alchemy of having different people, you know, come into your life and, and the things that you create and how you each take it to a different level than it would have been by yourself. So I think, I think working together is really important as creatives as well. Yeah. I mean, Tim and Jack have been friends of, for they've been friends for a long time and i met tim and jack later but i mean they are some of my closest friends and it's no wonder we are face to face at least virtually and in each other's ears all the time right you know and and we're we're texting all day with show ideas and, and things like that so definitely that collaboration is uh is key can you tell when you guys have had a great episode it's like as soon as you're done recording um we can i think both of us go through that that thing uh tim and i talked another time about this but there's there's a great little documentary called hecklers and it's about comedians and how they feel when they go on stage they get heckled or even if they don't mm -hmm. that they often suffer from depression afterwards because you and and 
at one point I sent science, the science part of it to Xander about all the articles about why you have that letdown, because there is a lot of science, you mm. know, because your dopamine levels, all these different chemicals are riding when you're, when you're on, when you're performing. And then afterwards you, it's like, it's like being on ecstasy. It's just the, you've had this chemical mm -hmm. dump and now there's nothing left. Yeah. And so, um, afterwards, you know, he goes through the editing and then, um, and then you, you were, we, there was one show we recorded three times <laughs> because it was just you know when you're not on you're not on and so mm -hmm. we had to we had to do that but for the most part um for the most part we're pretty pleased with with what it comes with it there have been a few times we're like uh just let it ride <laughs> we're not recording it again <laughs> this is this is as good as it gets but i think yeah. i think a lot of creativity though and is is that creative magic is born of pain and so any of those those mm -hmm. pain points like any so <laughs> i have one poem that's uh published in uh shades of blue and it was it was born of the pain of my uh of my son's father of that marriage of being um just destroyed by it and so i wrote this this three-page poem and and uh my husband at the time said <laughs> said well at least you got a good poem out of it and he was right. Oh. Like I, I got a good poem out of it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, but I, I do think I wow. think that whether it's the pain of uh, learning how to navigate a partnership or a relationship or just your disappointment, and I thought I'd be further by now at this point in my life. <laughs> all of those mm -hmm. things I mm -hmm. think drive the creativity. Really cool. Yeah, that's. I think. Um, I think the demons. I call them the demon, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I, after every show, I think it sucked. In fact, Greg and Jack stopped talking to me after the show because I would just be so, like, down and not realizing, like, what you're saying. It was just that dopamine rush was gone and nothing left. And I just, and then all the self doubt came in, right? Right. I, how, go ahead. No, I. We do have a lot of surprises, though, because, you know, sometimes <laughs> a show that we think. <laughs> is like there are shows that i don't want to listen to because i think well that wasn't our greatest show but then upon listening to it i'm like you know what that that had a lot of good moments and, and it really was a good show and sometimes the shows that i think are going to be just fire are like we're too shrill or we're too over the top in one direction or another so you know radar is okay but it still needs some adjustment right well i i think I think that the shock value of what you all have going is, is probably one of your one of your your big gets, probably. <laughs> but well, and that's what makes it easier for us than than maybe a, a show that is. Are, are you guys scripted or semi scripted? So so what we do, I do all the research for the science. He does all the research for the supernatural, and when we start recording, that's the first time either of us have heard the other side of it. And that way, so we, we do our own, as far as what you were saying with writing, we do our own writing. It's not really, I mean, some of the science, there's nothing you can do but read it. And I hate that part of it mm -hmm. because you would rather it to be sort of flowy. But there's, you know, when you're saying, <laughs> when you're saying, when you're having to break down the parts of the brain or something, for instance, like there's no way I'm going to mm -hmm. go off script on that. So, um, so my part has to be a little mm -hmm. bit more scripted, but for the most part, we have, we do the research and then we, we stay pretty conversational with it. And uh, so I, I don't know, probably fifty percent, fifty percent scripted. Yes. <laughs> well, that that makes sense. Yeah. So you guys do are very conversational, and it flows so naturally that it almost has the appearance of like, no, no, they they've rehearsed this. Not rehearsed. It sounds spontaneous, but you guys just I don't hear you talking over one another. You know, I I, I don't hear 
any awkward pauses and that may be partly editing um but that was a big challenge for our initial podcast and even to this day we you know we're all enthusiastic and what do you call en- me enthusiastic yeah enthusiastic <laughs> you know? yeah and so uh you know you guys you sound very seamless when when you're talking well thank you we we had to develop uh initially i think the first two or three episodes we recorded without seeing each other and then mm. and then Xander said we need to see each other and so mm. we do the little because he's education too we raise our hand if we if we want to say something over the next mm. pause so i think that helps us like that we have the enthusiastic hand raise like i have something <laughs> i have something <laughs> pick me pick me <laughs> now jenna you talked about screenwriting and i know that you you know done work in la and and so what what is it like being <laughs> A screenwriter and like being in the biz. I mean, because that's that's big time, and and you've you've played in the big time. Um, I think there is a fourteenth ring in hell, <laughs> and it is called L.A. <laughs> okay. I I love it. I love being there, and I love the energy. But there, I mean. Anytime I've left there, it's always like if you're going to talk about pain points and darkness, it feels like you're coming back with two demons just oppressing you all the way, all the way home. Oh. Um, because there is a lot of darkness there too. You have a lot of people mm-hmm. that are working in the grocery store or working, you know, waiting tables who thought they were going to be the next big thing and they've been there for seven years. And so there's a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of bitter energy there, like a lot of bitter energy. And the other thing mm-hmm. is, speaking of pain points, is that uh, there's a lot of thievery of ideas, which is a major, major sore spot for me. But I've had uh, several, mm-hmm. several projects stolen and money stolen for projects, and it's exhausting. Like it's really, it's heartbreaking because you get really excited about something, and you and and I made the mistake of telling people what I was working on initially, and I'd quit my job teaching, mm-hmm. and I was supposed to have a screenplay um, come to fruition. We had had twenty two million dollars that was set aside for three different movies, and mine was one of them. I quit teaching and then suddenly we stopped hearing from the person that had control of the money. And so oh, no. one of the writers ran like flew down to Florida to um, find out what had happened. And Not her apartment door was swung open and people were doing lines of Coke on her countertop and she had taken off to um, uh, Romania with, uh, with the money and uh, the investors were looking for her. And that was the end of that project. And then I had another project that I was uh, upstairs and I was like making my bed. My son's listening to TV downstairs and I hear my tagline in my show playing and I'm smiling, you know, like when you're deep in thought, I'm smiling. And then I think, wait a minute. And I run downstairs and I look at my son and he looks up at me and he nods. He said, yes, like he already knows what just happened. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I confronted the person that stole it and she told me to jump out of a tall window and kill myself. That was her response oh to God. killing my, I mean, to stealing my stuff. So, um, and then the, the attorney said that, and this is LA, right? He said, the attorney said, look, you have all the evidence that this is your show. We could definitely win the money for you, but is this your only idea? And I said, no, no, no. I have, you know, these 44 other blah, blah, blah. And he said, how long do you think this um, TV show will last? And I said, two seasons, maybe four seasons. Cause of course they're always looking at the money part of it. And mm-hmm. uh, he said, you can win this. He goes, but you'll never work in LA again. And then I was working wow. with um, the producer of Twilight at the time too. And he said, actually he's absolutely right. Cause even if you win the lawsuit, everyone knows your trouble. You're the one that sues people and they, they will blackball you. So there was nothing I could do about it. So that was, 
That is that's dark. I mean, it is dark. You, know, <laughs> you you get labeled a troublemaker for defending your art or defending, you know, your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I mean, it's it sounds like it's a vicious cycle out there. You know, if people would, yeah, I I, mean, I never a, understood dark, dark I always thought that there's no business like show business. That sounds really upbeat, like when you're hearing the music version of it. But it's <laughs> it's a hundred percent true. Like you think all of those transferable skills and everything you've learned about business and everything will just be the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like this, right. this, and this. It's not. It's a whole other game. It's a whole. I mean. Everything, everything that seems common sense is not common sense. It's a lot about who you know, and um, and people are willing to. I mean, it's not everyone. I have to say that. I I think it's mostly everyone. But um, you you have to get everything in writing. No handshake deals. No meetings in hotels with male producers. Um, <laughs> yeah, a, right. You 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 especially wow. as a female, you learn a lot of hard lessons right out of the right out of the gate. So, unfortunately, so. I have a, one single friend who works in, in the industry in LA. He was an executive for HBO, and now he's an executive for Netflix. But he is from exactly the same place that my brothers and sisters and I grew up. Same high school, mm-hmm. we went to the same college, and then he just left for LA. And, and we see him frequently, and we visit, um, and it's almost as if he adopts a different persona or, or speaking a different language when he... when we run into his industry friends. Oh, yeah. Or when he takes us to something in the industry. And I'm not disparaging him, and it, I don't even think it's something that he consciously does, but, you know, he's still the same person in so many ways, but, you know, it's far more important to him than it was to us to be at a certain place at a certain time because a certain person might be there that he just wanted to chat with or he said he would see. And so it, it definitely... It's fun to visit L.A., but, uh, you know, the old expression, I, I wouldn't want to live there. Yeah. Well, it, but the thing is, is that I had I had several meetings where um, because I wanted to stay in Arizona until my son was in college, I would have these meetings. They'd say, this is so great. You live here, right? And I'd say, no, no, I'll be moving there in a couple of years. And, and they would say, OK, well, come back to us when you've when you're here. Like, it's really difficult mm. to do anything outside of L.A. with the, the screen. I mean, some of that's changing because of the tax credits and stuff with Georgia and Arizona lost theirs. But but several places are now becoming more of little movie hubs. But um, I think a lot of the people in L.A. want you to be in L.A. if you're going to work for them. So. There I you agree. Yeah, I, you know, I think I mentioned to you on Instagram, I lived in Tucson Briefly, mm-hmm. and I was uh, I was working with the Art Institute of Tucson, and they had a film program there, you know, and that was one of the things that we regularly had to talk to students about was, you know, are you planning to move to L.A.? Are you planning to move to New York? Because the likelihood that you're going to get regular work living here in Tucson, it's just, this just isn't the place generally that what you want to do happens and so right you know confronting that reality for some of our students was was a thing i i ran an agency uh for me and another woman for a couple of years in tucson and at the time we did have a, a the film credit so we had we had some things come through we had some commercials coming through and then and then some movies um but they were primarily cast and then of course for the tax credit they would hire arizonans but yeah if, if you mm. want to do anything big it's not arizona sadly so so you have this this L.A. part of your life, right? This glitz and the glamour and the horror and all of that. And then <laughs> the you're also a, a published author of a children's book, right? So again, we're talking about these these uh, these all these different sides to you, Jenna. 
And Worlds are colliding. Yeah, yeah. I know. You know, I, I have I have my children's book, which is We Are All Green on the Inside, and it's about um, it's it's about little leaves that the first one that's turning, the other leaves are antagonizing it because uh, they don't understand that they're going to be turning too. And so there's a wise pine tree that's telling them, that's sort of guiding them. And then they realize that they're the first leaves of autumn and they celebrate, but that we're all green on the inside. So it's a multicultural story. And uh, But then I also have a screenplay that's about a priest who has memories of being a serial killer. I have, uh, <laughs> I have my poem that's, uh, you know, published in a depression book. And uh, <laughs> right? I think is it, but I do, I mean, I go back to that with the, with the pain part. I think that so much of um, creativity is born from vast experiences and we don't just have one emotion. So anyone who's, you know, painting happy pictures every day, I think I, I'm more worried about that person. What's going on there? <laughs> that this, <laughs> this, is the, this is the same art every day, because I think if you're really flowing with creativity, it's, it has so much to do with your emotion and so much to do with your experience. And so it's whatever outlet it, it finds, that's what you're doing. So, you know, I, I I'm a writer and a, and I've written poetry and taken great comfort from just even the process even not necessarily even the end product of it. And I have a teenage daughter and, you know, she has artistic inclinations um, and, and also has her sad periods. And I, you know, and she gets down on herself, but I tell her like, you know, you're lucky because you're finding something, in my opinion, that's socially redeemable right. you know, to use, to express, to get that poison out, to get that sadness out. And other people turn to drugs, other people turn to violence or antisocial behaviors. And you know what? They're, they're experiencing the same thing you are. They just don't have or haven't found that artistic outlet that you have. So don't, don't uh, shy away from your sadness. Embrace it and, and use it and, and make something good out of it. I agree. When I'm talking to my, my high school English students, I always tell them it's so much easier to deal with it here. Like I'm pointing to paper here instead of inside yourself. Like when it's inside of yourself, you just feel like you're going to erupt. Like there have been times when I'm like, it's not zero to 100 with me. It's 99 to 100. It's always just sitting there. Mm. And that's when I know I need to write. Like, because you have to have that dump. And, and we do an assignment called the file 13 assignment and they write down every single person anything that comes to their mind their pen just has to be to paper for 10 minutes every single thing that's anyone that's betrayed them or they felt let down by or or their own sadness or whatever and then at the end they can burn it they can throw it away they just have to show that they've Mm -hmm. done it and i've done that with adults as well and and people that would never write that that's they all do it and and afterwards like there's either crying or they're happy again or and you just really get to witness that process of getting all of this stuff out of you and i think i think a lot of people think that they can't be creative and uh greg and i i mean greg and i tim and i had spoken about that earlier as well as that i had a client who hired me to come up with uh, ideas for a new company and he said he had taken creativity classes he'd read books and he just couldn't tap into it and i told him everyone's mm-hmm. creative it's just that at some point in our life I think life uh, turns off that 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 valve, and you have to find out how to tap it back on. I think if you look at, mm-hmm. it, I've never seen a child that's not creative. Like, but at some point in our lives, that gets turned off, and so we have to figure out how to shut it back on, turn it back on again. Yeah, I think I I heard or read a quote uh, from an education theorist making that point and saying, you know, when you go into an elementary school classroom and you say, raise your hand if you're an artist, mm-hmm. you know. All the children raise their hands. Right. But then by middle school, they've begun to organize themselves and put themselves into a mental category and 
you ask that same question to those same children just four or five years later, and it's a vastly different you know, uh, percentage of the population thinking of themselves in those terms. And I think I think that one of the things I I was reading some studies about uh, questions, asking questions, and the decline from asking mm-hmm. questions from middle school. Again, you you become more embarrassed, you're more withdrawn, you're you know now you've already been beaten yeah. down a few times, even you know by your peers or or your teachers or your parents or whatever, and so you shut down. But um, but how questions, just asking questions, how it illustrates your intelligence, it also illustrates your level of creativity, and so I think. Um, you know, there's a, there was one of the assignments I had in one of my journals that was, that said to ask 10 questions every day. And I thought, yeah, I'm already, I'm already asking all those questions Mm. every day. But the idea that somebody could put that as an assignment shows you how little some Mm. people don't ask anything. They just accept like, well, this is the way it is. And that's what corporate said. And I guess I'll have to do it, you know, and, and we become these little robots. and, And the only way to open that back up again is say, but why? And, and does this make sense? And should we do it a different way? And am I happy? Mm-hmm. You know, I think those are questions people should be asking themselves every day. But it's difficult, right? It's difficult to ask those questions because some of us may, if we ask that question, we may be very afraid of the answer, right? Oh, I so think everyone's afraid of the answer. Right. Like, the, yeah. But you, if you, do, fear becomes interfere. If you don't, if you don't ask those questions, you don't grow as a person and you don't, you don't find those passions or that happiness. I mean, then you're stuck. I mean, to me, it's, it's more fearful to, to get stuck or to be stagnant. Like that's despair, utter despair to just be mm. stuck somewhere and, and not, not even have an idea of how to pull yourself out because you're afraid to ask the right questions. But the, the, yeah, I, I agree. But I, I, um, there are many times where I've stopped because the fear of it not being good enough, right? And, and if, I, if I ask that question or if I embark on this, then I'm going to come... I, I'm going to actually come to the realization that it's not that good. And I think what I've found probably over the last few years of my life is that when I kind of put those demons to rest, ask those questions, more often than not, I'm delighted or at least uh, surprised and pleased with uh, what's coming. But it's it's very difficult. And, And, you know, clearly you've overcome that. And it's impressive to hear in terms of how you, it's just on all the time for you. At different levels, right? At different levels, sure. Yeah, but um, and that you're able to express it in so many different ways. Like when we started to see your um, your graphic art on Instagram, mm. and it was kind of like, I'm not surprised, and I'm totally surprised that Jenna's doing this, right? Because she does all these other things. Of course, she's doing that, but she's doing all these other things. How could she do that? And it's um, it's really neat to see. Do you feel like you've Thank you've you. um, fully actualized as a creative? Do you think there's more? For you to to do and and if so you know what is that or do you think hey you're you're here now it's it's moving it's grooving and you know it's gonna i gonna i think i have my my mom's voice in my head all the time because i mm-hmm. i have in my i'm pointing but i have in my in my little craft box over there i just bought a wood burner and I bought clay. I made a little a little clay vase. Mm. And my mom said, um, I'm like that person with the remote control that just like clicks through channels. <laughs> She's like, if you just stay on one channel. <laughs> and so right. and so the other day I was like, 
you know what I haven't done in a while? And I thought, stop it. Stop it. You still have your, <laughs> you still have your wood burner that you haven't even taken out of the package. So <laughs> I do have to, I have to rein myself in sometimes because I get excited about different, you know, di- just different things. I, I went into a Zentangle mode for about two years where I was, I'd gone onto YouTube and I was learning how to do these little doodle patterns and stuff. And I mean, everything was just Zentangle this and Zentangle that. And, uh, and now I'm out of that stage, but I think, I think I go through stages of rotating, but I, I, I'm not, uh, I can't, you know, I don't draw at all, but like that sort of Zentangle thing sort of fed that part of me that I didn't even know existed. So I think those things, like even if I'm just doodling or what, like actually while I was sitting here, like I'm just doodling, right? So mm. <laughs> I think those things feed themselves into the other areas of your creative life. So if I can't write, like if I don't feel like I'm in that mode for writing, then I'll, I'll, play with clay or I'll, I'll do, or I'll knit. I'll, I'll knit a, I knitted a, a mm. blanket last year. Like I'll just do something different. And then somehow while I'm doing that, I'm sure there's science behind it, but while I'm doing <laughs> that, the other stuff starts percolating and then I'm ready to write again. So mm. it just kind of, it, ke- yeah. it keeps it. I, I think you have to keep poking the fire, you know, you have to keep. And, and if you, it, no matter what, what creative thing it is, if it's not, if it's not specifically the field that you're wanting to work in, do something else creative. And then suddenly it just, it, it's like that spark goes back to what you're originally working on. Jenna, do you think so that- if I'm hearing correctly, Jenna, it wouldn't be inappropriate when we do our first annual holiday podcast gift exchange to buy you tap shoes right because you might enjoy learning to tap it. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. My, I wanted to be a ballerina, but my mom said that it, it would never work out for me. So maybe ballet shoes. Maybe I can go back to that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was that was one of the no lists. I got the no on the ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Your your parents sound obviously they were strong in their own convictions, but they also you know supported or or accepted your kind of artistic path that you started to chart at an at a young age. Is that? An accurate statement. They did. I mean, with some qualifiers, you know, <laughs> they, I, I think they don't, they don't uh, want any of their daughters to do anything that would humiliate or embarrass them. So that's why my dad doesn't know I have a podcast. Um, <laughs> 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 he doesn't have to be embarrassed if he doesn't know about it. <laughs> so I, yeah, I think, I think that they, because they are creatives themselves, I think they were totally mm. cool with us being creative, but you know, within confines. And that that's part of the issue too, is that um, you know, when you're when you find yourself holding yourself back or or trying to control something else, it's it's that, you know, is this about me? Is this about the way I was raised? Is this, you know, even even the poem that I'm referencing that I that I wrote in the book, I uh because it was so dark and most people that for a while, because of the moxie, everybody was following me more for inspiration and motivation. And here's this really dark, you know, underbelly mm. of who I am. And it was accurate. I mean, it was a hundred percent accurate. I was terrified. Like she had to talk me into allowing her to publish it in the book. I was like, mm. I just don't know. But it, it, but I think what I learned from that experience is that when you're vulnerable, it allows other people to be vulnerable. So when you see all these people that are positive and motivational, it's because they've gone through the fire, they've gone through the darkness. And so that's the only way you get there is not because you were just born this positive person. It's because you you had to rescue yourself to some degree. And so once you say this was my experience, then other people start saying that was my experience too. And so mm-hmm. I realized that... Um, 
that when you liberate yourself, you liberate others. And I think that's an important lesson for any creative is to take those risks and to take those challenges and and be willing to be a little more free with yourself than maybe you ordinarily would because yeah. it does open other people up. That sounds to me like, you know, uh, as a late blooming semi-artist, you know, that sounds like what differentiates artistic people and, you know, non-artistic people. You know, you like we said, everyone at a certain point has that within them, but you had the strength of your convictions to kind of, you know, let that be your guide through life, you know, and that's a, that's a, an amazing quality to have. Thank you. Dennis, um, do you. I appreciate that. Do you think that when, so Greg said, you know, let that be your guide. Do you think, do you think that you're creating this or are you, do you believe that you are uh, a vessel? expressing <laughs> a vessel? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, so where do you think the source of creativity comes from? I know pain. Um, is you've been very clear on that, but <laughs> very clear, very clear, <laughs> very clear, the dark uh, darkness. And I, and I um, agree with that. But um, what do you think that? Because I, I know that you you are spiritual, as you said, and I think that you there's there's the richness to the world. Uh, and I'm just wondering how that plays into your creativity. Your your thoughts. I on I think sometimes it's almost like you can tell where it's coming from, whether it's like, you know, your own experience or this hardship or whatever, and it's your own emotions. And there are other times where I've absolutely felt, for instance, um, oddly enough, the one that I wrote at the park where I'm just writing, writing, writing. I, I didn't, I felt like that was just flowing through me and I had to get it down on paper as fast as I could. And, um, and actually my children's book, and I just, I, it's going to sound, make me sound hooey fooey, but this is the true story. <laughs> I was, uh, I was in Venice beach and I was getting ready to get on the airplane with my friend and we'd gone to, uh, oh, the young and the restless cast party. And <laughs> oh <my gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was fun. that just side note. That was, a, that was a funny one because I'd never watched young and the restless, of course, being raised right. the way I was, but my, my friend was just this huge fan and we go there and we're the only two people that aren't cast members. We got invited and, um, oh, wow. And because I didn't know anyone, I treated everyone like humans, like they should be treated. And I just had regular conversations. And she's normally really brave. And she was like, how are you doing this? So I was like, I have no idea who these people are. It's <laughs> like, okay, I can't be starstruck if I don't know that they're stars. But anyway, we had had this, this really great weekend and creating and meeting people and stuff. And so I was, I had, I love the beach so much. So I had to run to the beach. I said, oh, I'll, I'll make the plane. Don't worry. And uh, this woman grabbed me and she was like this hippie, you know, reader kind of person and and i don't know for the last 15 years i've had people come up to me and say i have a message for you are you willing to receive the message which is a weird thing to happen it was weird the first time yeah now i'm just like yeah bring it what do you got <laughs> but, <laughs> but this the you know fourth avenue on tucson you know those things definitely happen there yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, yeah. but i hotel conference. yeah exactly exactly but um that, that's more your hippie hippie crowd but uh she grabbed me and she said i have a message for you will you listen to the message and i said okay and she goes uh you have mass around you and they um they want to tell a story through you will you tell the story and i was like okay and she said uh they the trees want to tell their story through you and i said okay and so she basically told me these masters would be writing a story through me and so i was like that was interesting i get on the airplane i'm telling my friend what happened and i'd never read wayne dyer my whole life and um mm -hmm. i looked at her and i said 
who who would I even give credit for? Do I put my name on that book if it happens? Because, you know, (laughs) if if the (laughs) master's writing through me, how am I going to credit them? And so I I tell her that I opened the book and I think it was the power of intention. I I, I can't swear Mm -hmm. to it, but the very first page said, I can't take credit for this book because it was written through me. And I said, and I, and I show it to her. (laughs) So skipping, skipping, skipping a few years ago, I'm telling my now ex-boyfriend about this. And I, and I'm telling him the whole story and, and about how would I take credit and the Wayne Dyer thing. And then he said, so like the book that you just published. And it hadn't even hit me that the children's book that I had written was all about trees, <laughs> was, mm-hmm. was all about multicultural stuff. So that was, that was pretty trippy. So either, right. either right. she planted that seed and that's why I wrote the tree, you know, the tree thing or something else was happening. And I mean, I, I, it, it, it's hysterical to think that it didn't even occur to me until, I, until he told me, like the book you just wrote. Like I had no idea. It didn't even hit me that that was, that was the assignment. So, <laughs> so I personally think sometimes things are happening beyond ourselves that um, that you have to be receptive for. And I also think, and we talked about this on our show as well. If you look at like even inventions or discoveries that happen, and they can track them in different parts of the the world, and that weren't connected, they didn't have Google. And these things were happening at the same time. It kind of makes you think maybe there is universal consciousness. Maybe these things are flowing through us. And and if you're not wearing your aluminum foil hat and you're not acting on it really quickly, mm-hmm. someone else is going to do it, whether you do it or not. And, and and that's one of the big lessons I've learned in creativity is like, if you don't do it, someone else is going to beat you to it. So you better be quick, you know? Mm-hmm. So not to get all ancient aliens on us, but you know, you're <laughs> Here like, I go. like, like the, the, like the phenomenon of pyramids, right. you know, they're, they look slightly different, but they're happening at you know across the globe at different periods of time. But you know that that is the question: like, is it a universal consciousness? Are those things springing from within us, and it's just part of our DNA to create things that look like that? Or you know, is it you know lizard Illuminati coming down and giving us blueprints <laughs> in these different parts? Giving of the us five G you know? towers that we just didn't yeah. know what they were. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess that is the question, isn't it? It could be, it could yeah. go either way, but I, I do think, I think the the fact that we have this desire to create and the desire to move things forward indicates to me, and I mean that's part of, I guess, my spirituality is that I, I don't feel like I would have those instincts or want to create if something else wasn't happening. You know, if I'm just a little right. human mm-hmm. robot that evolved here. Um, I, I don't think there would be that extra thing that pushes you, personally. Changing a little bit in gear, I have a question for you as a kind of a, as a lifelong creative person. Mm-hmm. Do you have perspective or thoughts on how COVID and this pandemic have affected you personally as an artist, or just kind of artistic awareness in general? Because you know, as I've listened to you talk. Again, you you seems like you've always had a, a, the strength of your convictions that you followed those, but not everybody does as much as they would like to. And I, you know, I reflect upon the year that was and the conversations that I've had and how it's changed me. You know, and I I, I, I don't know I try to find and extract something positive from all of this. And the only thing that I consistently go back to is that you know maybe it's adjusting our priorities as as people and. You know, I, I know of many people who've gotten more in touch with creative sides or with whatever their passions are and have started to kind of self-examine and say, you know what, is my job title 
as important to me today as it was 18 months ago? You know, right. can I see myself taking a different direction in life? You know, and, uh, and I, for a lot of my friends and family, that's true. You know, they're like, you know what, we've been in this rat race and, and it took something so awful as, you know, the pandemic to kind of help us rethink it. I, I, I think this, this, it may sound a little mean since I've already been accused on, of that on Instagram, but <laughs> I, I, I feel like, and I, oh, wait, this, was my question condescending? <laughs> just a little, I'm sorry. little, little condescending. No, no, no. Um, I, I feel no, no. like they're, I, I almost feel like COVID separated the wheat from the shaft, right? Like I've talked to people who are like, mm. I've gained 50 pounds. I'm miserable. I'm depressed. <laughs> I'm, you know, some, you know, borderline suicidal. Like they go to that really mm. dark, dark, dark place. And I think there are other people that are like, you know, I lost 40 pounds this year. I, I started a podcast. I, you know, and, and so I think, I think that any hardship and any pain teaches you who you are and like what you're made of it or maybe even what you need to focus on and maybe even the people that have gone through these dark parts maybe that's part of their awakening too because we all have to go through that dark night of the soul and for me i was um i had left china and went back and realized everything was shut down and this is before it was really big in the news and i was like oh yeah this isn't normal because i was living in this huge city and the shops closed everything closed i started videoing it and i was like i packed my stuff i went back because most everybody was on winter break and so all of the everybody was in different countries from the education system. And so I went to Cebu in the Philippines and got in five hours before they closed the border. And mm. I was stuck there though for five, I did five almost six months. And I could I, I, I bought 14 wow. different airplane tickets that kept getting canceled to get home. And then finally mm. the last ticket I got, I had to get four tickets to get back. And each one I was just panicking, hoping. <laughs> um, but I was by myself, by myself. They had a shoot to kill order there. It, I, I tried to go for a walk twice and both times guards escorted me back. I, I had nobody living wow. with me. So it was just me in a house. And so I ended up, I'm two chapters away from finishing a new book. I took two college classes uh, while I was there mm. and uh, I just kept busy. And I, I do think, I think that there were times when it was miserable because you have to really, you go through those stages of grief with having to deal with yourself. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me in hindsight. And even at the time I realized that I was really working through stuff that it gave me the opportunity to just have that time to really sit with myself and in all of the regret and pain and, and happiness and, and things that I needed to get rid of in my life and the things that I needed to focus on. And I think um, to me, that was the big silver lining of COVID was that I was able to work through a lot of my own deal because there was no, I was pretty much off the grid. There was no distractions. I wasn't allowed to be on social media because of um, my, my contract with China. So I was, it was just me. So, so wow. for me, COVID, COVID had this, I mean, really great silver. I mean, it's awful, obviously, but there was a, there was a silver lining that I think really fed into my creativity. And made me want to finish things because I think I think all creatives have like twenty different tabs open. Like I have this project, this project, this project, and I and I've been trying to just I always say like I'm just going to have three focuses. Like what are my three focuses right now mm -hmm. to finish these things? So, and and those other tabs will still be there. I'll come back to them, but you have to prioritize. Right. Otherwise, you're just you know it's like cutting down a tree. You're just putting a nick in each one instead of actually you know really taken one down that was a west virginia one for you <laughs> <laughs> it's great that you have those multiple tabs you know i for 
for me and you know it, it's it helped reset my priorities you mm-hmm. know and so I had no tabs and I really had no plans to open up any tabs although I could think of the ones that I wanted to if I did but it really helped me kind of reassess and say yeah you know what it's okay if I have a greater balance and I do the things that I love and am passionate about more and don't just rigidly think about the next set of bills and the next job opportunity and job stability, you know, and, and meeting Katie for me was very helpful and all of that sure. too, just to help give me that support and perspective to, you know, to, to embrace the parts of myself that aren't exactly practical. You know? <laughs> uh, so. Well, it, yeah, I think that's, I think that's why a lot of people resist creativity as well, because they think it's not practical but neither mm-hmm. is sitting on a couch and watching Netflix for 12 hours. I mean, you have to think <laughs> like you, you only have so many hours of the day, but the mm-hmm. hours that you're not working, what are you doing? Like, is, is that, is that practical? Does that make sense? And so, because people don't, people I think have been taught to, to think that creativity is a fluff activity. Well, so is 90% mm-hmm. of everything else we do in our free time. So, you know, create something. That would be the yeah, or just sit around and watch the things that other people have created. Yeah, well, and, right. Yeah. Like you, you can either that's yeah, yeah, yeah. do it. Yeah, do you it. do it. You if and 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 be critical. A lot of people sit around all day and troll everyone else's work and have you know nasty mm. get keyboard get a case of keyboard courage and think that they're all so mm-hmm. cool for like tearing somebody else down. What have you made lately? What have you created? You know, exactly. you make something and then you and then you have some space to talk about this. So. I was a bookstore manager for five years in my younger days. And, you know, and I, booksellers are kind of condescending. So maybe that's why they made me the manager. <laughs> but, uh, but, but we, you know, there, there were a lot of the mindset of like, oh, that person just asked for a Danielle Steele novel and the, you know, the booksellers would snicker and I'd be like, you know, guys, you know, lighten up. Yeah. You know, do you only watch The Godfather when it comes to movies? Or do, you, do you like some lighter entertainment? You know, she's not hurting anybody and she's providing some pleasure to a lot of people in the world, which is a lot more than we're doing. So, yeah. you know, and she's paying your salary. And she's, yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, there are times you just want to shut down. Like you don't want to think, you mm-hmm. just want to have something that guilty pleasure thing. So, for sure. We built a podcast on that. Yeah, <laughs> this is my I, this is my guilty pleasure. I I, I told mm. I told Greg, you're you're what keeps me awake when I'm coming home at night. I'm just <laughs> just in hysterics, and and you have, just as a side note, you all have those uh those lines underneath the lines, <laughs> like like mm-hmm. Jack saying something while Greg saying something, and I'm like, when you separate those, those are hilarious. I mean, <laughs> so so many throwaway lines that people wouldn't even know. <laughs> So thank you, Jenna. It, it is amazing this this global technology that's allowing the three of us to talk right now. It is. And you know, it and I you know, every week I'm sincerely shocked if somebody f- sends a note uh, that they enjoy the show or that and they're in another country. It, it's it's amazing and, and what a blessing it is to be able to like, you know, share some fun with you know, people that you haven't met and, in Greece. and that's a way to kind of get to know them. Yeah, absolutely. They love us. In Latvia. The Latvians are very smart and uh, obviously great sense of humor, even the women. <laughs> you know, we were, we were, I don't know if we still are, we were number one in Romania and I was like, oh, right, vampires totally make sense. <laughs> like, yes. like we, get, yes. we get that one. But the fact that Xander and I are, he's in China, I'm here. I mean, we have to record ungodly hours on my end, but... Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, even that is is a miracle that we're able to record from so far away. So, yeah, Tim Tim's on the East Coast with Jack and Katie and I now, but for a while he was on the West Coast, 
it wasn't a major obstacle, but it sometimes was confusing and, and for guests and things. But you know, what what time? Like when Xander and you are recording, are you what is it, like three in the morning, four in the morning? Uh, so I work. I teach at night, so I teach from one to ten p.m. And then we usually record at twelve o'clock. I mean, lately we've been recording mm. at twelve o'clock, and so I'll record from twelve to two or twelve to three. Wow. Yeah, and then Very do it again next day. Woot, woot. <laughs> yeah. But I, I didn't expect to be back in teaching because I had my own marketing business for eight years, and I'd mm. you know I'd quit once I'd had that screenplay thing, and so. Um, but then when I went to China, I was supposed to be there for three years, but then COVID happened. So, um, mm. so I, I don't know what next year is going to bring. But for now, it's been an odd schedule for me to adjust to. <laughs> mm. Very, very much a night person at this point. So. Well, Jenna, this was um, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time and and talking about all the things you talked about in terms of the work that you've done and creativity. And uh, you know, this was I think very interesting for me. So I just want to you. say thank sure. you. Yeah, I, I really it. appreciate it. And I can't wait to to uh, when it gets out there and other people can get a chance to hear you and hear you talk about it in your just amazing voice. Oh, well, Arizona, right? Well, well, thank it's, you. It's been great meeting you, Jenna. Yeah, thank you for sure. Thank it's you, been Bob. great. And you're you're so kind, you know. With and you know, you're it's you know the, so unexpected. You you'll send a something that we can post for our podcast right. on Instagram, and it's just you know acts of kindness, random acts of kindness, and it's it's so touching and nice when that happens. And you know, our the podcast community that we've become a part of is such a generous one and diverse in, in their passions. But they also seem to be just passionate about communicating with one another and engaging with other people. And that's that's so awesome. It's so I not think. LA. I think I, <laughs> I and I know I know we're done, but I'll say also <laughs> I think no, we, when we, I've we, seen we you say that independent podcasters need to support each other, I love that. And I, yeah. I love the concept of this show as well because I, I think that creatives should be supporting each other and should be doing as much as they can for each other because um it's difficult when you're out there by yourself and it's difficult to get traction and anything that you can do to help each other as much as you can. I mean, not take, get taken advantage of, obviously, because that happens too, right. but, mm-hmm. but, but to, to freely give when you can, I think that's really important and that's what keeps things going. So, Yeah, I don't know if this is what I'm about to say is good for the show or it's <laughs> not necessarily bad, but I was just telling Tim and Jack just yesterday, uh, there's, there's uh, sisters who do a podcast out of New York called Twisted Sisters. Uh-huh. Cute. And, and they d- direct messaged me a week or so ago and were like, hey, where's Bad Council headquarters? And I was like, well, not there, you know, in our heads. That's why <laughs> they're going to storm like, well, it. They're going to storm it. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. Like, oh, God, they're they're, they're going to shut us down. But, you know, and so I gave them Katie and I's mailing address. And yesterday in the mail, we received a, a box where they had uh, a thank you card. Uh, th- really thoughtful notes, a mug for their show, some maple syrup, Aww. and some like locally made soap. And it was just like, we just wanted to thank you guys because you're, you're, you're consistently saying nice things about our show. And, uh, and you know, it just it seemed like the right thing to do. That's so, so nice. It is. I, I was so touched. I threw some prison wallets in the mug. <laughs> <laughs> so talking nice. to Gil last Very, night, we, um, so nice. we, we recorded the 420 episode, then Jack jumped off and then Greg and Katie jumped off and I was talking to Gil and we just kept going. So we had done, done recording and we kept talking (laughs) and um, it was wonderful. But one of the things he said was the reason he started to listen to bad counsel was the gratitude section that we, and we put the gratitude section section right up front. And when we read his uh, review, 
he said it, there, was a, there was a moment, a sensation that he just felt connected to us mm-hmm. in a way, and then that opened up the opportunity for him to start listening, and then he fell in love with the show. And the same thing, he said that you know, he's incorporating gratitude, and he thinks other people should too because of this whole kind of weaving the community together um, because it's, it's a good thing to do. It's it right is a thing good to thing do. to do. It's yeah. it's funny because Xander asked me the other day, he goes, do you think we should do what Bad Counsel is doing with the gratitude? Because I really like that. And he goes, or will they think that we're taking it from them? And I said, well, we would be taking it from them. But <laughs> <laughs> but he said, but I, but then we started talking about it. I said, the only thing that I have, because I do a gratitude, I'm big on gratitude, gratitude journal every day, that kind of thing. The only thing that makes it a little awkward is if you're doing something, like I said, so one of our next episodes is going to be on 411, The Missing Kids. So here we open up with like this gratitude thing. And then we're like, okay, (laughs) on to The Missing Kids or, you know, on to the terror that happened at the seas with the Kraken. Like, (laughs) I just, but we do, we do our, um, you know, grateful for our listeners thing at the end. But, but I said, I don't know that opening the show with that would be, um, who was it? Are we still recording? Yeah, yeah. that's fine. We can okay, just we'll tell the, me uh, you don't want to cut, cut this part Tim's out. Probably told you. He'll, he'll edit out anything you want him to write out. Seriously. Okay. So the uh, single, probably any of my rambling, feel free to eliminate. But um, the single girl podcast, is that it? The single. Uh, talking the UK one. Single. UK yeah, one. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So I was like, I yeah. told them that I'd listen to it. So I'm like listening to it on the way home. And it was about, it's, it's going to seem odd that I'm laughing given the topic, but it was about abuse, <laughs> like, like men oh, abusing oh women God. and stuff. And so the woman, she's like leading it and she's like, so we're talking about abuse and like the domestic things that happen that have been in the news. And she goes, so how are you guys doing today? I'm are you excited for the show. And the girl goes, <laughs> the girl goes, well, I'm really, um, I'm really kind of down because this is a really hard topic to do and whatever. And she goes, okay, cool, cool. And then she goes to the next <laughs> one. And I was like, oh my God. It was the most hysterical. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, that's all I could think of when he was saying, do the gratitude first. Okay, now yeah. for missing kids. Cool, cool. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think what you guys do, in, in your gratitude, you do it in a different way, right? So you do it in a way that's more the two of you. So when he sang that song, Georgia, mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. so floored. Not not just because he does such a good job, but because it was such an expression of gratitude, right? So it was a little dig at you guys, but yeah. <laughs> I, well, yeah, that we, side, I was laughing. Side away. Gigabyte. I was dying. I was like, "We finally yeah. made up with them. What are you doing?" <laughs> no, it's, it's, these guys. He, Xander's more like Greg and Jack than 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 any, but. What, yeah. Like we give you advice that won't get you arrested. Um, that yeah. was great. Um, well, his little and, dig at Jack at the end, I was like, "Oh my uh, god, I yeah. I just made you apologize on the show, and now you did it again. <laughs> you did it again. He's it wasn't even it. Jack. He, I, me trying to explain to him, it wasn't Jack. Like I, I must have right? had this conversation four times. I swear he tunes out midpoint. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they're all Tim, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> He's funny. Poor but Jack. Poor Jack. The. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I just think that that's, you know, expressing in your way, right? And it's just all given yeah. trying to figure it out. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think that we lead with it. And I, but I love that you all do that. I think that's really good. And it, it does work for your show because even if, even when you cover dark topics, it's really upbeat. So you can't, right. you can't really lead wrong well, on that one. So, and they make it a bit like it's, it's gratitude. It's genuine. The feeling is genuine, but yeah. I can't move that through these two guys without it being. <laughs> funny in some way shape or form right i mean 
You can't even get a high out of Jack without it being funny. How are you doing today? <laughs> He's very confused every single time. <laughs> like, what is he asking me? <laughs> He's just checking yeah. in. You're all right. <laughs> no, it's all, it's all, but it's good. I think that, that your show, um, your show is, uh, it's unexpected because I would think it, you take even sometimes like super offensive topics and I'm like, I'm shaking my head the whole time, but I'm laughing right. like, like, well, I can't even help it. I'm like, even if it's like ridiculous and, and sometimes misogynistic, Greg, um, I think <laughs> <laughs> Jack, um, <laughs> it's still funny. It's it's Deadpool. You guys are able to pull it off. It's just so extreme. It, it, it teeters. You go so to the point that it still becomes funny. You've mm-hmm. gone so far that it becomes funny. So, yeah. Katie's been an important barometer of that for us. Like how far is too far? Yeah, because she began just kind of sitting like next to me here when we would record the show and wasn't mic'd up and at first was kind of trying to contain her laughter. But you know, Tim and Jack were like, "No, no, Katie, that's good." She's a great laugh. uh, Oh my god! And to have that female perspective, it, it kind of. It gives us a pass, like, well, hey, there's a girl right here, and she's not <laughs> she's angry fine. at us. She's laughing. Right. Yeah. I well, think we Howard, discovered Howard, Stern, discussion. Howard Stern had Robin, and that didn't make exactly. that right. well. That didn't make it right for women, though. She just laughed at everything. At least Katie pulls back a little bit, like, she like you does. can tell she's got that. Oh my God, Jack. <laughs> Robin did nothing for women, so I'm glad Katie's a okay. little bit advocating for us. <laughs> We yeah. do. We it's do. A, you we have a, you have a good that. mix. You have a good mix. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. It's fun. Okay. We feel like it. We feel like it's something good. There's something good there. There's something good. Yeah. Something. You call it Is alchemy, it? and I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah. Well, there's a little magic something. You're like, hey, we've got something. That's when it's exciting as a creator when you're like, hey, that got shared five thousand times. Maybe I'm onto something here. Or hey, <laughs> you know, I had it's this amazing. many downloads. Yeah, it's exciting when you realize that that uh, people are responding and that that um, it's resonating with people for whatever reason. It's resonating with people. That's nice. Yeah, so. that's really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you all. If, I, I hope that, yeah, of course, now I'm having all that dopamine let down. If that didn't go well, I'm happy to record <laughs> it again. Great. <laughs> it's, yeah, okay. it is so good. Like, you're gonna. I think you'll really be pleased. We'll okay. take out the talking single podcast stuff oh yeah yeah that's right (laughs) lovely people let me be clear lovely people but i thought she was not you know i know what she was doing she had the next three thoughts in her head because i do the same thing and so she tuned out when she's like it's really depressing cool cool i was like yeah that's not at all what she just said (laughs) so we were smart enough to do collaboration with them in june oh are you did we they're gonna have us on their show in june yeah oh that's gonna be entertaining (laughs) basically we're like the uh we're like the Keanu Reeves of podcasts. We just we just do our thing on everyone else's podcast. We don't we don't <laughs> do just, anything different, right? That's we just, hilarious. We're the same you should have saved that for on, the show. <laughs> uh, we don't know how to do it. John Wick, I'm Neo, but it's all just me. It's <laughs> just Keanu, yeah. right? Or Nicholas Although Cage. He, he same did thing. he did have a lot of voice coaching and get him a little bit better than when he was uh, Bill and Ted. A I'm little, a huge a Keanu Reeves coaching. fan, so that's these guys make fun of me because he's. He's admittedly not the best actor, but his roles are great, and he's a tremendous human being. So. My one of my previous uh, business part, I actually still work with him. One of my business partners, he dated, he dated a woman that was older, which was Keanu Reeves' mom, hmm. and and uh, he said Keanu, like hands down, like like everything that you read about him being this good guy that just gives money, hangs out with us, is a hundred percent true. Like he's just really? like, oh, genuine. That's so, so that's nice to hear when people are really grounded and they're not the total. Everyone else in LA, not everyone, right, but right. most people. 
All right. Well, um, I'm going to need that number of your friend Greg in um, (laughs) Netflix, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Got some stuff to send over. Well, we're going to have him on as a future guest. Yeah. Oh, nice. Very nice. So then when we have our like eclectic company party, right? Uh Jenna and what's his name? Mark. Mark. Jenna and Mark. We can make sure. And we'll make sure you don't know who Mark is, so you can just talk to him like he's just a regular like person. Like he's a Young and the Restless cast member. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I actually got pretty good at that, because I realized that the people in LA are way more screwed up than anyone else, you know, in, in normal life, so you get really good at just thinking of them as humans. It doesn't uh, doesn't phase me anymore. It used to, initially, I was a little shell-shocked, and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> they're just a mess. <laughs> I, it's funny. I have, Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Jen. No, go ahead, I, Jen. Sorry. No, I just, uh, I, I had, t- I don't know if you told Greg or not, but um, my mom had said several years ago because she was actually annoyed about my artistic endeavors instead of staying in teaching, <laughs> and and she said, uh, she goes. Uh, I just don't even know what you're doing with your life. And I said, I'm eccentric. And she goes, you're not rich enough to ex- to be eccentric. And ah. I said, well, I said, well, I'm practicing. So I, call- <laughs> right. I called her after we scheduled this and I said, mom, check it out. I'm finally eccentric. <laughs> like, it's, hap- <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Greg? Oh, well, no, my friend, Mark, uh, his nickname's HB, but um, when. Obviously. No, not because of HB. No, his last name's Hair, H O E R R, and we called him Hair Bear in college. Oh, but that's um, cute. Yeah, HB. So um, we, you know, we go to LA, and I have a couple of college friends who lives out there, uh, and we we hang out, and, and normally it's just us doing our thing. But he does take us to sometimes like industry events, swanky or parties, like the, yeah. the True Blood premiere one time, and Ooh. you know things like that. Um, but we were on a rooftop party of his condo. And uh, I met the creator of that show, The Dead Files, you know, on Travel uh-huh. Channel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he was so, like, I was like, oh, my God, I love that show. And, and like, I was immediately his best friend at the party. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, oh, really? Why why do you like it so much? And I'm like, well, I just think it's brilliant. You have the spiritualist. You have the retired cop. And they do parallel investigations. It's just unique and blah, 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 blah. And he was so loving it. But then after I had fused, uh, he said, well, what do you do? And I told him what I did at the time. And he was like, oh. And then he like literally turned his back and like walked away. And never again. <laughs> they do that point. I yeah, see like, oh, someone okay. over there yeah. that I need to talk to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They're always, it's, it's like the Terminator, the scanning you. Can I use you for anything? Anything at all? <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Yeah. yeah. They always need writers though. So I think if you tell them you're a writer, people are because they want oh, you to yeah. write something for them. They, they never turn down a writer. Actors, they, they don't care about at all, but do you know, directors, producers, writers, they seem to be much more in tune with. So cool. if you don't want to get rejected at a party, just say you're a writer. Yeah, that's right. I mean, <laughs> Good to go. Fake till I make it. You are, Greg. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's true. That's, yeah, that's exactly. Obvious. All right. Thank you guys so much. It was fun. So Dan, Thanks, don't Jenna. hang up just yet, though, because Tim yep. has to make sure that once he hits oh. the stop recording button, the file is done. Oh, God. I don't know truth is this is history.